Hi, I'm Dr. Kevin Cheng, founder of Asana, a health service dedicated to transforming lives through prevention. Over the years, I have reflected with colleagues on what we wish people did so they can avoid pain, surgery, or developing a chronic disease. Often the answer lies in embracing a proactive mindset and putting healthy lifestyle practices into action. By doing this, the upside is not only better health, but also saving us time, money, and stress in the long run. In this podcast, I'm joined with my friend Saxon Piggott to chat with a new health expert each week. We'll cover practical ways to look after ourselves, how to prevent illness, and ways we can be inspired to live well. Welcome to Prevention Hacks, the weekly conversation where we go to health experts for advice, so you don't have to. Welcome, Professor David Hunter. Uh, to our podcast. We are uh, very privileged to uh, have you on, on our show. Uh, osteoarthritis is a preventable disease that affects one in 10 Australians. Um, and David, you are the Professor of uh, Rheumatology and Medicine at the University of Sydney, uh, but also a global expert in osteoarthritis. So we're very lucky to have you based in, in Sydney. Um, and we'd like to kick off with uh, some questions. David, welcome. What What is osteoarthritis? For those of us who maybe haven't really experienced it, we've heard about arthritis, but, but we don't really know that much about it. Sure. No, thanks for having me along, Saxon, Kevin. It's great to be here and great to spend a little bit of time chatting both to you, but also hopefully to your listeners. Osteoarthritis is an incredibly common problem. As, as Kevin said, it's about 3 million Australians are affected by this. The most common uh, joints that are affected are the hands, the hips, the knees, and usually it presents with a person complaining of pain related to activity of those joints. Um, it's the most common reason a person might get a joint replaced. So for example, the knees or the hips might get replaced. Um, and it's, as we'll hopefully get into, a really common cause of uh, unemployment and disability in our community. David, we've talked um, over the years and you've uh, talked to my team about um, the, the benefits of early prevention, both those who are at risk of getting osteoarthritis, but also that, those that have the disease all the way to late stage where perhaps they're seeing specialists um, talk, thinking about uh, joint procedures, as you say. Um, but there's real evidence that's emerging that uh, early prevention, conservative treatment uh, can work around weight loss or exercise, uh, knowing what to do when you've got osteoarthritis at home. Um, what, do you, what would you say to our listeners who um, are, you know, are in that category? What would happen if we don't get early preventative care? Sure, it's a really good and important question. And I think it, when a person's thinking about having osteoarthritis or they have osteoarthritis, oftentimes, uh, they're told by health professionals, by their friends, that this is just part and parcel of getting older. Uh, there's nothing they can do about it. Just get used to the idea and, and or wait until they need to have surgery. But as you're alluding to, there's a lot that a person can do short of surgery uh, that will really help with their pain, their functional limitation, their disability, their social participation. Now, if they don't do something about it, I think it's really important they reflect on the consequences of that. And so that might be uh, loss of function, so that you know, activities that they might otherwise enjoy, like playing tennis, playing golf, gardening, playing with the grandkids, those sorts of things become much more difficult. As time goes by, 
as pain gets worse, they often get what we call sensitization, so heightened, altered sensation to pain and innocuous activities. They might also develop other health problems. You know, they might become um, more obese, high blood pressure, diabetes, heart disease, as a consequence of their disability. And then, you know, from a healthcare perspective, there are massive costs associated with not treating this in an early way and waiting until more expensive, oftentimes surgical interventions are required. And, you know, from an Australian societal perspective, that runs to about $4 billion a year in terms of direct healthcare costs, largely related to joint replacement surgery and recovery from that. Um, but that's a small cost compared to uh, what we call the indirect costs or the societal costs of unemployment, uh, loss of income, uh, loss of taxation revenue and superannuation, which usually runs in the order of about $25 billion a year uh, from an Australian perspective for people that have osteoarthritis. Uh, are there any new advances, any treatments that are out there that are making things easier for people? Yeah, there's lots of different types of treatments uh, that are already available that we underutilize. Um, and I think one of the really important emphasis that I'd really like to point people towards is that simple things, early preventative care focused on uh, weight loss, exercise and education are incredibly powerful and effective if a person's given the opportunity to do that. And if uh, that's supported by the healthcare professional and the health system. Now, just to give a person a sense of how effective that might be, a recent trial in one of the Scandinavian countries recruited a, a large population of people, all of whom were eligible and lining up for a joint replacement of their knee. At the two-year time point, uh, when they were randomised either to a joint replacement or to an intervention that incorporated education and exercise um, and some weight loss, at the two-year time point, two-thirds of the people who were in the non-operative arm said, look, we're happy, we don't want an operation. So I think it just underlines the point that if a person's given an opportunity to do some of these types of interventions, particularly, again, just re-emphasizing weight loss for those above a healthy weight, exercise for most people, and education about the disease, it has a really powerful effect if, if they're given that opportunity to do that. Hmm. I'm happy to go on and ex explore, you know, sort of the, the raft of what we call disease modifying therapies, which are more experimental research therapies, which are looking at regenerating joint tissue. And we do quite a lot of research in that space, but I really want to emphasize and underline the importance of what we already have available to us that works, that we're really underutilizing. We, um, we take the belief that prevention is better than cure, and that's part of the philosophy of building a, a new model of primary care. And I've heard you say, David, that 80% um, of osteoarthritis um, patients, people living with osteoarthritis, um, travel through a journey which is to see a GP, try medication, if it doesn't work, end up uh, seeing a specialist uh, for a joint procedure. Uh, and so what might be some of the challenges to changing that usual journey through the health system um, and how do we fix those barriers? Yeah, it's a, it's a really fundamental problem in our healthcare system and it's a huge challenge for the people that are out there. But just really, just to re-emphasize that point, we did a study recently where about four in five people who were on a wait list for joint replacement surgery had never had any appropriate non-operative 
treatment before that. And so that might be things like exercise, weight loss, and, and things like that. So it's, it's a huge pervasive problem in the healthcare system and a real failing. But, you know, it's challenging and I recognize that it's challenging. And I usually try and break that, those challenges down into two different areas. One is sort of the personal challenge for the person that has osteoarthritis. Uh, because a lot of the interventions that we're trying to advocate for that we're talking about this morning require oftentimes substantial behavioral change. You know, oftentimes these people have been uh, sedentary for a while. They're finding it difficult at getting moving. Uh, they might be using food as a, as a means to satiate mood problems. And so changing some of those behaviors is tough. And I recognize that that's really hard, but if they're given support and if they're given the vehicle to do that, we've had great success in changing those behaviors and making a big difference to a person's pain and function. The other big problem here, and that's what you were alluding to a moment ago, Kevin, is that that of the system level. And then so from a viewpoint of access and reimbursement and support for these types of interventions, you know, we're very happy to pay uh, and incentivize really expensive um, non-interventions uh, and, and uh, investigations that we know don't provide a benefit. You know, so MRIs of knees, arthroscopies of knees, but we're not happy from a healthcare system to support, subsidize, reimburse, and provide access to things that we know that work around exercise, weight loss, education, and those sorts of initiatives. So mm. to me, they're the huge obstacles and barriers and challenges that we need to overcome um, from a healthcare system perspective, recognizing those big personal challenges as well. It sounds like a lot. Sorry, sorry, sorry. You go. I was just reflecting. It sounds like a lot of those interventions are a win-win. Not only will the health system be better off, but it's actually better off for um, our patients to uh, try some simple things that avoid very invasive joint surgery where it could be very costly, a lot of disability and rehabilitation involved as well. Yeah, huge wins, huge wins. I mean, we know that this at the moment costs our healthcare system about $4 billion a year in direct healthcare costs, mm -hmm. largely related uh, to elective surgery. And, you know, if we were to roll out a program similar to what we've been talking about in terms of exercise, weight loss, and other interventions uh, that are non-operative to just the 10% of people who are at highest risk for needing surgery in the near future, we would likely save in the order of $1.8 billion a year. Wow. Okay. Um, you know, it's, it's easy for me to sit here and just suggest that that happened, but it, it just makes economic sense. It makes sense from the people that are affected by osteoarthritis because the average person that has lower limb osteoarthritis, so that knee or hip osteoarthritis has 2.7 lower limb joints affected. So that might be two hips and a knee, it might be two mm. knees and a hip. And if we, you know, hierarchically replace one joint at a time until multiple joints have been replaced. That's a really expensive public health way to intervene on the disease that's so prevalent and is inc increasing in terms of its prevalence. Hmm. David, on that, are there are there anything any practical things people can do at home if they if they're concerned about arthritis? Maybe they haven't sort of gone to a doctor yet, or or they're in the early stages. Is there anything that you would recommend that they can do to sort of help improve their chances? Yeah, I think the first thing is, you know, understand that an appropriate diagnosis is really important. And so go along to your GP, have the diagnosis made. Don't take this lying down would be one other piece of advice. You know, a lot of people basically suggest to themselves that, you know, I'm getting old, I can expect joint pains, there's nothing I can do about it. 
but don't sort of have that anhedonic type experience and recognize that there is a lot of things that people can do about it. Um, in the first instance, those messages around increasing physical activity, increasing strengthening exercise, getting access to weight loss resources. There's lots of things that people can do, you know, like yoga, Tai Chi, uh, Pilates, uh, lots of different physical activity programs that are out there. I, I recognize that sometimes at the moment, you know, it's harder to access pools, it's harder to access gyms, sometimes harder to access healthcare facilities uh, during the time of the pandemic. Um, but there's lots of different resources that are out there. And what we've, what we've tried to do uh, recently is put them together online in a, on a website called uh, jointaction.info. Um, and it's a lot of remotely delivered resources targeted towards increasing a person's physical activity, increasing knowledge about exercise, increasing knowledge uh, about the disease um, and what they can do about it. And like you guys, we've also got some information in podcast form to help people and listeners uh, about different aspects of the disease management. It's hard at the moment, but there are lots of resources that are out there, much of which is remotely delivered uh, that can really help a person's pain and function. That's wonderful. We'll, we'll post that um, website to, to our social media links as well. Um, I remember uh, one of the myths um, that I've heard you also talk about, David, is the notion of wear and tear um, over, over time. And we sometimes see um, our members come through our service and there's a sense of um, it's going to happen because of aging. It's not going to repair itself. It's bone on bone. And, and one of the myths may be that exercise doesn't help. So we, we need to, I suppose, tackle that myth and rethink how we can manage um, it more proactively. Yeah, there's a lot of terms that health professionals use like wear and tear, like bone on bone, like degenerative, which are really discouraging for a lot of people out there that have osteoarthritis. And I think the consequence of hearing those terms is that people feel that the more activity that they do, the worse that they'll become. Mm -hmm. um, and it really increases the sedentary behavior, which we know sort of sets up this vicious cycle of um, deconditioning or loss of muscle strength and function. Um, increase weight because they're reducing their physical activity, which then further compounds on their mood and their pain and, and other symptoms that are emanating from the disease. So it's really important that if healthcare professionals that are out there that are listening to this podcast, please don't use the discouraging language because it really um, mitigates against our opportunity to meaningfully intervene, particularly in terms of encouraging physical activity. So if you're increasing your fitness around, around the area, if you're building up muscle around those joints, does the muscle compensate for the, for the wear and tear? Yeah. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of people that have osteoarthritis uh, have instability or buckling of the joint that comes about as a consequence of muscle weakness. Um, they have inability to get up from a chair, get up and down stairs that again comes from muscle weakness. And the more you can improve your muscle strength, the better your function is going to be. And it will overcome some of those symptoms that are really profound and disabling in a person that has osteoarthritis. Um, again, really easy for me to sit here and have a chat to you guys about improving strength and function, um, but it is de definitely achievable with the right help from allied healthcare professionals like physios, like exercise therapists, and uh, you know a range of other people out there. 
Um, you mentioned the pandemic. Uh, have you observed any changes in uh, behaviour of uh, people who live with osteoarthritis, whether they've had less joint replacement, whether they've um, been exercising more or, or even less? It, it sort of goes in waves and the waves tend to follow the peaks in the COVID as well. But, you know, I think a lot of the, a lot of the time people have found it increasingly difficult, particularly to access pools. Um, and we know hydrotherapy is so important. Gyms have also intermittently had challenges in terms of accessing gyms. Um, a lot of healthcare has gone remote. I don't know whether that's been your experience as well, Kevin. Mm. Yes. Um, and there's obviously been a reduction in elective surgery and people have been putting off their, or have been told they have to put off their orthopedic surgery. Uh, for for their joints, um, they're eating more, and oftentimes they're not necessarily making the healthy choices that we otherwise might encourage them to take. And we know that alcohol consumption's gone up during this time as well. And so, a lot of those things haven't necessarily helped a person's health. And I've, you know, at least anecdotally, seen a lot of people coming through the clinic that have been relaying those stories to me, um, and you know, losing condition, losing function, gaining weight. Um, and so we're desperately trying. Uh, you know, with a, a range of different things to see what we can do to provide remote resources, uh, information about the disease, encouraging people to get out there to be active. Um, because, you know, whether we like it or not, I think a lot of the life changes that we're currently going through as a consequence of the pandemic are going to be with us for a while yet. Okay, thank you. And, and perhaps just to uh, finish up, what are some practical tips that you may want to share with um, your patients that you wish they would do or think about before they come to see you and, and particularly around uh, behaviour change because it is so hard to um, ensure that we all have healthy uh, lifestyle habits day to day at home. Yeah, so I guess three practical things that I would love to see for people that come along before they see me is to get started. You know, I think the first hardest, often most difficult thing is to recognise that there's a problem there and try to make a difference by getting started and you know, doing some exercise, trying to learn uh, about the disease to lose some weight. Um, second most practical thing is try to get a little bit better informed. Um, and so in that regard, try to educate yourself about the disease. As I mentioned before, you know, the, the Joint Action website is out there. My joint pain is out there. Go along to your GP, to your physio, learn about the disease and the great amount of things that you can do about it. I guess the, the third thing that I would really encourage people to do is it's, you know, it's oftentimes disheartening during the pandemic uh, to look after yourself, but do your best to look after yourself. And, you know, while you're there, if you can, try to help someone else as well. Thank you. Well, it's been a pleasure and I look forward to catching up with you soon. Thank you so much, David, for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks, David.